Welcome to Storehouse Dallas. There's some of you guys in the room. Many of you guys don't know me. My wife and I, we were uh, at the upper room for a long time. I was about five years. I was the executive pastor there. And then about three years ago, the Lord called us out. And I went through this really crazy season in my life where just about everything that goes wrong could go wrong. Um, my, my brother committed suicide. I lost three other people real close to me. And it was just a season of trauma. And it felt like everything uh, was just kind of crumbling around me. And so I, I took some time and just pulled aside with the Lord. And I just asked this real kind of deep, simple question. Uh, but I was like, Lord, what, what's the one thing that you want to accomplish? What's the big thing that you want to accomplish through my life? And if you haven't asked God that question, I advise you to write down that question and spend time asking him that question because it will unlock the deep things that he's knit together into your mother's. And when you were in your mother's womb, it'll help unlock that because he put something in you that needs to be fulfilled in the earth. He says, I want my stories to be told in the earth. I want people to see the heart of my son. Because unfortunately, the media usually controls the narrative of what happens to the church and they just basically show our brokenness. They show our fallen leaders. They show the sterile, judgmental, hypocritical side that is in the church. And we are a hospital of broken people, but we are also an army that is being transformed and remolded into God's image that's going to go forth, right? And so I felt like he wants, he wants to reshape the narrative of, of the heart of Jesus so people can see his heart. Because when people see the heart of Jesus, he's the desire of the nations, Right? And so we need to control that narrative. And the third thing I felt like he said to me was for my sons to possess the gates of the enemy. It's one of the promises given to Abraham, right? Abraham's the father of our faith. And you can look at gates many different ways. There's this gates here, gates here. There's, you know, gates in the city. But I was, when, I, when he said that, I was thinking about the entertainment media complex because it's the biggest gateway. Uh, right now, I, I think on average, you look at Nielsen ratings, people are spending about average of 11 hours a day staring in front of screens. And if you become what you behold, it's no wonder the state of our nation is the way it is. And so it's my heart to get the church in that game. And I had, I had this theory because I'd spent, uh, I didn't grow up in church. And I, I, it's kind of a joke, but it's true. It's kind of funny when I say it. But my dream when I was a kid, when I grew up, I wanted to be in the mafia. That was like, that was my dream. Lofty goals, I know. I was shooting for the stars. But I didn't grow up in church, and so I'd watched, I grew up, I was kind of 90s kid, so I grew up watching, you know, Goodfellas and Scarface, listen to NWA, Scarface, Ghetto Boys, all this stuff, right? So those were my sermons every week. They discipled me. They gave me my worldview. And I saw this, I saw these men who were willing to die for each other. And I came from a broken home, and so I was like, man, I, I want love like that. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, the one lays down his life for his friends, right? And so I saw a version of an unconditional love, though it was a perverted version of it, but that was the only place I saw it. And so I had this theory about the power of media and the need for us to be in the media game. And so we left the upper room in faith, no job in front of us. I knew I had a call to go transform culture through the arts. Uh, within about a two-month period, I met a guy uh, who had been in Hollywood making films, and we decided to partner together, move to South Georgia, and start a film company with worship at the center of it. We feel like, hey, David put worship in the center of his kingdom. What does it look like to create a business with worship at the center of it? So we started that. Uh, about 18 of us moved out there together. It's a lot of money to run a company with 18 people and try to make films. It's not an easy thing to do. 
Our company made one film, then we ran out of seed money, and Meredith and I, we felt like it was time to shift gears, and a lot of our team was moving up from South Georgia to Atlanta uh, because more films are being made in Atlanta than anywhere else on the planet right now. If you look at uh, all the Marvel movies, they're made in film studios owned by Dan Cathy, the owner of Chick-fil-A. And so there's a kingdom presence there, and Hollywood's moving there under this kingdom culture. So God's got a divine setup happening. Um, but in the, there was a lag time between us moving from South Georgia to Atlanta because our house wasn't ready yet. And so we found ourselves down in Tampa for a little while because I have family down in Tampa. And while we were there... Sean Foyt, who we've known since like 2006, was started this worship movement called Let Us Worship in the middle of the global pandemic, right? And he was coming to Tampa, and I was like, hey, bro, you're coming to Tampa. He's like, you're there? Get Meredith to lead worship for me. Put a band together. Let's do this thing, you know? And so I'm like, all right, let's do this. And it happened to be uh, September 18th, and I remember the date because September 18th was my brother's birthday. My brother, who, the one who had committed suicide, and he was from Tampa, and we happened to be in Tampa. So I knew it was a significant day, and I went to go visit my parents, and my parents, it was a day, it's a day of mourning for them, right? So I go over there, bring them some flowers, it was just heavy. Uh, but I prayed, and I felt like the Lord said, today, uh, it's time to plunder hell on your brother's behalf. I always knew there would come a time, because what the enemy meant for harm, God will turn to good. And he will flip the script and what the enemy has done in your life. The Lord wants to use this thing as a weapon to just plunder hell. The enemy has to pay for what he's done to God's kids. He's got to pay for it. Right? And we can't let it overtake us. And so I just had this faith that I've been waiting, like trusting God. All right, God, I know this situation is the worst thing that's happening, but I know you're going to turn it for good somehow. Right? And so when we get there, the first thing Sean Foyt starts talking about was was the very first Let Us Worship he did was on the Golden Gate Bridge in California when the government shut down churches and said, you're no longer allowed to sing in church, but you're allowed to go to strip clubs and bars. Go figure. So they do a Let Us Worship on the Golden Gate Bridge, and these police show up, and Sean thought they were there for them, but they weren't there for them. They were there because they were on suicide patrol because so many people were committing suicide during the pandemic, jumping off the bridge. And when Sean starts telling about that, I was like, I knew I was supposed to go after it that day. And so... He asked me if I wanted to share, and I said, yeah, I do. And I was thinking about Tampa and Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's, everything in Tampa is about pirates. And so I was thinking about what's the redemptive version of a, of a city or an area or a culture, you know? And I was like, you know, this is the land of pirates. And I said, you know, there's a godly version of that thing. I said, where Jesus went down into hell, and he stole back, and he took back the keys of death in Hades, and he plundered hell. And I go, God's going to plunder hell today. You know, I started sharing the story of my brother and what he went through. And I was like, man, I'm not losing any more brothers and sisters. I'm not losing any more brothers and sisters. And so if you're struggling with suicide or depression, it's not happening. Come forward. And all these men start rushing to the front. And there was this powerful moment. And I'm weeping. Everybody, everybody's weeping. One of the cameramen, he had lost one of his friends to suicide. And this guy right next to him starts running forward. And he's following this guy. And he's weeping. And this whole video just goes viral. And people from all over the world were kind of texting in saying they were feeling suicide and depression breaking off and feeling hope through this moment. And so it launched us into this journey, like kind of going city to city, doing Let Us Worship. People just started giving into us. We started going. We did 20-something cities in a couple of months. It was insane with our family and uh, just seeing hope and the power of God move in the middle of that. And so I started thinking about it. I was like, man, this is a powerful story. The world needs to see what's happening because we were seeing racial reconciliation meetings happen. We were saying, because, you know, we're seeing the media just shows races divided, but we're seeing races come together. 
We're seeing people getting healed. They're just showing sickness. You know, so we're seeing the opposite happen. I was like, we got to tell this story. And so it started getting, the, the, the Let Us Worship movement got national attention. It was all over the media, the press. It was, Sean Foy was on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine, and it said, it said, Jesus Christ, super spreader. So I decided to make a film. I was like, we got to do a film on this thing. We got to do a documentary, and, and I think we should call it super spreader. And so we're in the process of making this film. I got a teaser. I want you guys to see it. And the reason we're calling it Super Spreader is because I want to reach the lost with this film. Because if you see a film and you're watching Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever, and you're, you're an unbeliever and you see Let Us Worship, you're not going to click on that. But if you see Super Spreader, that's a little provocative. What's this about? And so the first half of the film, this is our strategy. I'm a little inside, uh, inside baseball. We're going to tell the story from the media and the skeptic's perspective. And so that those who are kind of curious are like, oh, this is safe. The walls will drop. And then we're going to flip the script and insert Jesus. <laughs> so, so, you, so you'll see a little bit of that strategy in this teaser. So if you guys just put it right. You guys. just got news from a very viable source that in 20 minutes, Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, is going to shut down all indoor church meetings this week. Singing has been banned at all church services in California. This is a new statewide action uh, effective today. And I heard that. I was like, <laughs> OK, it's on. Possible super spreader concert. They are packed in front of that stage, mostly maskless. John Foyt, let us worship. It's a super spreader. You are not welcome. Of course, you guys know what we're gonna do. We're not gonna back down. Let's go. There was massive pushback. If Jesus were here right now, he absolutely would wear a mask. This is our 98 <laughs> city that we've been to. You're going to come in to pray with people and take the chance of giving them that play, really. It's one of the worst feelings as a human being to feel misunderstood. And we were just completely being misunderstood at this point. How do you feel right now? We face resistance in Portland, we face resistance in Seattle, we face resistance in Chicago. If people aren't courageous and take a stand for what they believe in, we're in trouble. Courage is taught when you see it. You can't really teach it as principles. You have to see it modeled. The church has got to take a stand. We cannot be coward and pushed around anymore. There's a pandemic. There's a plague. Here's a move of God. It's going to change America. This is the next great awakening. This is what we've been praying for. You know how valuable your life is? This guy is probably responsible for hundreds of deaths. This is the season where we need to actually open our mouths and worship. 
But people like Sean are saying about what God said, oftentimes it's false. You are not a Stay tuned, we'll come to you soon. Wish I could take credit for editing that. <laughs> Had to hire Hollywood guys to tell, tell the story. They know how to do it best. They do. I, the Lord has divinely connected me with some kingdom guys that are like underground conservative Christians in Hollywood and uh, that, want, that want to tell these stories. But the church, man, we just, we've got to get in this game. This is powerful, huh? Yeah. You see how, like, I, man, I just, I feel that there's such, there's such anointing on this. There's such a need for this because this is going to reach places that the church can't reach, right? And so we need, we're at this place right now. We just made the trailer. We need funding. And so if you guys feel in your heart and you want to sow and give into this, are you okay if I, if I ask for this right now? Okay. <laughs> like, I'm going to take the money out of your church real quick. <laughs> um, LetUsWorshipDoc.org is where you can go if you want to give into this thing. We're just doing it via donations right now. We've got to raise about $275,000 get this thing done. And that's little money. If we want to do it right, we probably need about $500,000. But I think we can shoestring it for about two seventy five. dollars is what I'm trying to get it down to. Um, we already put about $50,000 into it, um, but to do it, to get it on that big boy level, you got to hire big boy guys. And so we've got a ton of footage. We've interviewed, uh, we got Eric Metaxas on there. We went and interviewed Che on down in California who sued the governor of California. Uh, we've interviewed uh, Joseph Bondarenko. He was, a, he was in prison for 10 years in Russia for preaching the gospel. We've interviewed a lot of these guys who have international perspective and they're screaming, hey, if you don't take a stand now, you're going to lose your country. And they're serious because they're saying that we've seen this playbook in our country. This is why we've escaped those countries to come here. The same playbook is happening here. If we don't take a stand and we're not courageous now, we're going to lose our future. So I would be honored. I know God's going to provide. If you guys want to join us and partner with us, every little bit, how, every little bit helps. Just whatever you can. I'd be honored. Thank you. Um, I want to talk about courage today. Is that Okay. I feel like it's really important. After hearing that, it was just like, oh, we need this right now. We need courageous leadership. You know, in the beginning of 2020, before the pandemic happened, the Lord spoke to me and he said, my body needs courage. My body needs courage. And I didn't know why. I didn't really understand what was happening. And then obviously you see what happens in 2020. And at the end of last year, we just had, we had this crazy year last year. And we saw, I knew, I knew, when the enemy started pulling people back within fear and putting people back into their homes to be buried into their homes, I knew it was time to advance. Because when God says my body needs courage, it's not to go sit at home. You don't need courage for that. It's because he's calling you toward the promised land. But all year long, everybody's like, be safe out there. Be safe. It's got to be, be Be safe. There's no command in the Bible that says be safe. It's not there. Could you imagine Joshua and Caleb? They're about to go inherit the promise. They're going into the promised land. First of all, it's kind of trippy. It's like 
You've left Egypt. God's leading you towards your promises. He's like, land filled with milk and honey. It's yours. But there's giants there. Be safe. Be safe out there. No, when God says be courageous, it's because he's sending you into the place where there's giants. But it's okay because he's with you. He's taking you to the place of inheritance. Those giants are there setting up and they're like, they're the stewards of the provision for your future. They're the source of your strength for your future. They are your bread, right? And so we need courage to step into it because it's daunting. It's daunting to go up against Hollywood. I know Hollywood's going to try to cancel this film. I know it. But that's going to be free publicity for us. Hollywood's canceling super spreader film. What is this crazy film? Everybody's going to want to check it out. So last year, in, in Light of Courage, I was watching a film with my kids, and it was the movie Back to the Future. And the Lord said, the church is McFly. Who's not seen Back to the Future? Oh, y'all better go watch two people, three people. Y'all better go watch it. Did y'all know this is a Christian movie? You're laughing at me, but I'm about to mess you up. It's a Jesus film. You got to go back and watch it. So the main character, McFly, is actually the main character. Michael J. Fox plays Marty, right? And he's the little kid that goes back in the future to save his family kind of a thing, right? But his dad, McFly, is dealing with this, this Goliath, so to speak, named Biff that's constantly speaking at him. McFly, knocking at him, beating him down, telling him you're a little punk, you're a little idiot, whatever. And he's just kind of impish. But yet this, his son goes back to the future to meet his dad, right? In the first scene, when he goes back to the future, he walks into this little uh, diner, and the, and the guy addresses him. First of all, there's, there's, a, there's a sign on the wall that says, high praises, okay? If you'll see it, it's under the clock. It says, high praises. And then the guy looks at Marty and says, why are you wearing that life preserver? Why are you wearing that life preserver? What's a life preserver? It saves people, right? It's a savior. It's interesting. So then he just realizes he's sitting next to his dad at the bar, and then Biff comes in, this voice of torment. And they're like, what? Then they see Marty. They're like, why are you wearing this life preserver? They keep dressing him as the one with the life preserver. And so the whole film, you'll see this back and forth between these two voices, the voice of Biff that intimidates and the voice of the life preserver that's trying to give him faith and courage and speak over his future and tell him, you need to respond in faith. You've got to go after your destiny. It's interesting. And so you'll get to this point where, towards the end of the film, where he's got to rescue, uh, McFly has to rescue his future, bri future bride, right? She's in a car and Biff's on top of her, taking advantage of her in this vehicle, right? And then you flip to another scene and Marty, who's the voice of the future, the voice of a savior, is in the trunk of another car. So these two voices are both in vehicles, right? And so what is, what is a word? It's a carrier of spirit. A word can carry faith, it can carry fear, and it can affect you. 
And so vehicle, they're like vehicles. And so it's, it's, it's symbolic of one voice, the voice of fear and torment. Goliath is in one vehicle and Marty is locked up. The voice of faith and the voice of the Savior is locked up in the trunk of another vehicle. You know how he gets unlocked out of that trunk? These musicians un- pop the trunk and let him out. And when he gets out, he has keys and he goes, hey, these are yours. And he throws them right to the musicians. They had the keys. And then he runs into the scene. And so you go back to the other scene and Marty is like addressing Biff and Biff's intimidating him and he's about to punch, Biff's about to punch him and Marty's down here like this, like, what do I do? And he has this choice to either be taken over or respond in faith and courage and actually swing and knock out this voice of the giant. And right when Marty runs into the scene, boom, he knocks out Biff. So the voice of faith of the Savior was unlocked by the worshipers, the musicians, and gave him faith to respond and give him faith to respond with courage and knock, knock out Biff. It's pretty crazy, right? When you think about it, because that's, that's everybody's battle. What voice are you listening to? And if you think I'm still tripping, when Marty goes, gets back in his little DeLorean, goes back into the future, he crashes into this marquee. You know what the marquee says? says, Jesus saves, salvation is from God, Church of Christ. It says Church of God. It's a Christian movie. Y'all didn't even know it. Jesus taught in parables to the masses, and he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You got to think about why he did that. These storytellers in Hollywood, sometimes they know what they're doing, because there's not a person on the planet that doesn't resonate with that film in some way. Everybody loves the movie because it's timeless because Jesus is baked into that film. He's the desire of the nations. It's interesting, huh? All right. So that's your, that's your film homework and your analogy for the season so that we can respond in faith. Because if we don't, your future could be lost. And even the theme song of the movie. What was the theme song? Uh, no, the power of love. There's, if you hear the, the Huey Lewis song, Huey Lewis goes, Turn your heart to a little white dove. More than a feeling, it's the power of love. It's all about Jesus. Obviously, my wife's a singer. Don't laugh at me. I did. I went for it. I, I felt, it's like some anointing on that. <laughs> I don't know what kind of anointing, but there's something. All right, how much time do we have here? All right, I want, to get, I want us to get into the Word, all right? I love the Bible. It's like the source of life. I want to get into some text that is one of the most famous texts in the Bible. We all know it, but I want to look at it with fresh eyes today. I want, to, want you to look at it prophetically for your life. I want, you, I want us to turn to 1 Samuel 17. There's keys in this text for us to be able to apprehend faith and courage to be able to move forward, Okay? Because faith comes by what? Hearing Hearing by the word of God, right? Faith comes by hearing. And what is faith? It's the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen, okay? So you have evidence of something. You don't fully see it yet, but there's a future reality that you're starting to perceive a little bit, and you have belief and assurance that this thing is going to happen, right? And so what's the inversion of that? You have evidence an assurance of a hopeless future, right? 
And so what happens when, and so what happens when you have this, this assurance that something bad is going to happen to you? What happens to your body? Anxiety, fear, you feel it viscerally. It affects your body, right? And so I, I truly believe that people that struggle with anxiety, they probably have a gift of faith. It's just pointed in the wrong kingdom. Because they have assurance of something. They have a belief in the wrong kingdom that that reality is going to pass, come to pass. So if you flip the script, you get assurance of what God's going to do in your life, you'll begin to have faith attacks on your body, not anxiety attacks. Literally, you know you get lit up, your arm hairs are all lit up. You can live like this. I'm serious. You can live like it. Where you're just full of faith because you're assured of what God's going to do. And I'm going to show you some keys on how to live in this state. Because the enemy's been priming us to live in the opposition of that state. All 2020. Divine setup for us to live in radical faith. Divine setup. All right, so let's begin. Y'all ready for some faith? I feel like we need faith. All right. So I'm going to go kind of slow through this and speak prophetically. So now the Philistines gathered their army for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. Okay? So Philistine can mean several things. It can mean alien, stranger, or one who wallows in the mud. I want us to look at, look at it from the voice, from the perspective of a stranger. Okay? The stranger, alien, this, 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 this thing that comes in, the first place he sets up shop here is in the land of Judah, right? What is Judah? Praise, right? So the enemy's strategy is to come in to the place of praise. Soko means hedge. So the enemy comes into the hedge of praise. Why does he do that? And what is praise? Praise is the vehicle by which we magnify the Lord, right? It's the vehicle by which we magnify God. And why do we magnify God? Because there's times when we can't see him clearly because all hell is breaking loose in our lives and there's a pandemic and there's all this stuff that's hammering us. But he knows the power of this vehicle, so he wants to come and encamp in this place, into God's territory. He wants to set up shop in your praise, Because he knows if he can break through this hedge, he can affect you and get you in fear and insecurity, anxiety, depression, all these things that we're singing about. You're not going to be moved forward. You're not going to want to move forward into your promised land. This is David's strategy. How does David deal with this? If you go to Psalm 34 with me real quick. Psalm 34. It starts out like this. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. How often? All times. His praise shall continually, how often? Continually be in my mouth. Paul said something like this too, right? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. Continually lift up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of our lips that honors his name. And then it goes on. He says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble be glad Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let's exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be put to shame. So David's strategy to deal with his fears obviously says he has fears. 
So he's got fears. He says, come, let's magnify the Lord together. Let's do this thing. Let's magnify him above the fears. Then he petitions God. I saw him. Then he answered me and he delivered me out of all of them. Right? So the enemy knows this. He knows the power of the place of magnification or praise. So he comes up, sets shop, and encamps right in this place in your heart and in your mind. And the next part of the scripture here is unprecedented in the scripture. It's this detailed description of what the enemy looks like. We don't see it anywhere in the scriptures, but right here. I think it's strategic because the Lord is trying to make a point about how the enemy likes to magnify himself in your midst when he comes into your land, into your territory. You'll go to, uh, let's go to verse 3, 1 Samuel 17, verse 3. Y'all with me back there? All right, I'm just going to read. And the Philistines stood on the mountain... On the side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits in a span. I don't know what a span is. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. And the shaft of his spear was like that of a weaver's beam and it weighed 600 shekels of iron. Ah. You have to read it in a British accent. It's just kind of better. And his shield bearer went before him and he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you just the mere servants of Saul? So you see this crazy detailed description and all of a sudden the, the, the Israelites are like, oh, this guy, this giant is in our midst. And he's taunting them and just saying, who are you? He immediately hits at their identity, right? Who are you? Just these mere servants of Saul? You're nobody. Who are you to do anything great for God? You're just these little servants. And then when the enemy speaks that stuff to you, you'll be like, don't you know that the servants are the greatest in the kingdom? You can always flip the script on the enemy. And so immediately he begins to hit them and he begins to torment them. And it says, when Saul and Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid, right? And so the enemy comes into their camp, begins to magnify himself with this torment, and this voice of a stranger begins to be magnified in their midst to where the entire nation of Israel was sidelined and couldn't move forward because they were stuck in fear, right? And the fear came from the top down. Saul was afraid. Saul's fear infected his entire nation. It's interesting when you think about Saul because Saul was like this, he was almost a giant in his own right. He was this massive guy, right? But he had listened to this voice of the stranger. What did Jesus say about the voice of a stranger? Mm. Sheep don't know that voice. My sheep know my voice, the voice of a stranger they don't listen to. It doesn't mean you don't hear it, but you don't listen to it, Right? There's a difference. And so I started looking at like, I started looking at Saul and David, just kind of juxtaposing these guys' lives a little bit. 
And I was thinking about Saul. I was like, why was he in such fear? And I was thinking about, like, in 1 Samuel 10, when, when Israel is wanting a leader, they're wanting a king, right? And so Samuel goes to anoint Saul. And right before he anoints him, he begins to prophesy over him. And he says, you're going to see these, these prophets coming down the mountain with lyres and pipes and flutes. And they're going to be prophesying. When you come into their presence, you're going to prophesy too. And the Spirit of God is going to come upon you and change you into another man. And it goes on to say later in that, that God gave him a new heart after that. So Saul had literally been transformed by the Spirit of God, had gotten a new heart. And so he began to, he, all of a sudden he forgot who he was because just right, at, right after this, turn with me real quick. First Samuel 10. You got to check this out. This is fascinating. Because this man encountered the Holy Spirit, transformed new heart. Y'all with me? Y'all with me on that? Okay, so the seminal moment of his life. If you'll go with me to uh, 1 Samuel 10, verse 21. I'm just going to give a little setup real quick. So this is the most seminal moment of Saul's life. uh, Samuel brings Saul up to the nation of Israel. He wants to present him as their king, the guy that they wanted, right? So this is his moment. He's a new man. He's ready to be presented as the king. Verse 21 says, He brought the tribes of Benjamin near by clans, and the clan of the, the Matrites was taken by Lot, and Saul the son of Kish was taken by Lot. But when they saw it, and they couldn't, he couldn't be found. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, Behold, he's hidden himself amongst the baggage. So literally, Saul's seminal moment of his life He's to be presented as the king. And he's doing this deal. He's helping nobody. I mean, it's, it's an awkward story, right? He says he's hiding amongst the baggage. Think about that. The tallest guy of all, he had just been transformed. New heart doesn't realize who he is. Another scripture says that he was small in his own eyes. He didn't see himself rightly, right? This is interesting. Hiding amongst the baggage. What is the baggage oftentimes that we carry from our past into a new situation that we hide behind? Like, I, I know I've been there. Like, I don't know if I can trust again because, because of how I was betrayed in that last season. So ultimately, you're putting the, the baggage of last season in front of you, in front of this new relationship. And so you're hiding behind this baggage. And I can't trust them because of this baggage right here. Right? But what's interesting is the Bible says that we are, we are hidden in Christ, not hidden in baggage. And David said, I set the Lord continually before me, not baggage before me. So I think it's an honest question for us to ask because I believe that we are in a seminal moment of our lives. That it's a season to advance and move forward. But our baggage is going to try to present itself to keep you from stepping into the new thing. The old thing is going to try to keep you from that. But here's the beautiful part about it. Colossians 3 says this, that you have died and your life is actually hidden with Christ in God. So set your mind on the things that are above where Christ is seated, not in your baggage or your past, set it here, that when Christ who appears, your life will appear with him in glory. Yes. And so we're we're going to get into the practicals of this in just a second. So let's fast forward. Let's see how, let's go back to 1 Samuel 17. 
Let's see how David's seminal moment, how he steps onto the scene. If we can begin at 1 Samuel 17, verse 19. Now Saul and they, did your version say, say that? Now Saul and they, anybody, does anybody talk like that? Now Saul and they, and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David arose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions as he went. Jesse, as Jesse had commanded him, and he came to the encampments as the host was going out to battle, shouting the war cry. So you know the story. David is bringing some food to his brothers that his dad, you know, invited him in, divided him to do. And so immediately he goes on to say, verse 22, David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage. And ran into the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. Hmm. It's interesting, huh? Left his things with the keeper of the baggage. Who's the keeper of your baggage? Jesus is the keeper of your baggage. And what's interesting, David had reason to have more baggage than all of his brothers. Some say he was, born, uh, he was born out of wedlock because when Saul came to anoint one of his brothers as king, his dad didn't even call him forward as a son. He left him in the field. He was the reject of the family. He had reason to have baggage. He was the reject. So when he steps onto the scene, this is David's seminal moment here. He's about to face his Goliath. He may not even fully know it, but he's, first thing he does, he leaves his things with the keeper of the baggage. And so, Lord, I pray that you help us to be those who are quick to forgive, quick to let go, that you teach us to lay our things at your feet, that we are not meant to carry the stress, the burdens, the betrayals, the woundings of the past. Lord, you paid for all of them. Because those things dim our glory. They dim our light. He doesn't want us to carry him. They kill us, right? And so he wants us to let go of all these things so that we can face down our Goliaths because you were made to slay giants. That's what you were made for. I had this dream. Uh, I had this dream once where in the dream, I was mad because the devil kept attacking us. And it was like this brave heart scene, you know, men in the valley across. I had all these soldiers behind me. And I was like yelling at God, going, God, why do you keep allowing the devil to attack us? And he didn't say anything. But the men rose up behind me with this triumphant voice. And they go, so we can have victory. And I was like, oh, all right, I get it. We're made for victory. We are overcomers, more than conquerors in Christ. This is your identity. This is your destiny. This is who you are in Christ Jesus. Sometimes we're not seeing it rightly because we're still looking at the baggage. It's time to let it go. It's time to let it go and look at him. All right? So immediately he goes to greet his brothers. And he talked with them. As he talked with them, behold, verse 23, the champion... The Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up to, out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before, and David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him, and they were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's come up? 
Surely he's come to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches. What do you think God has for you on the other side of your Goliaths? Plunder. That's the promised land. There's giants there. It's milk and honey. It's there for you. Those giants are there for you to slay. They've been preparing your provision for you. They're the sentinel set in place in charge of your future. And I know it's freaky, but we got God on our side. We do. The king will enrich with great riches the man who kills him. And will give him his daughter and make, and make his father's house free in Israel. Make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? Lord, help us to remove the reproach off the church. Would you help us to slay our giants so we can remove the reproach off the church, God? Remove the reproach so we roll it away, Father. The church will be restored to her glory again. Restored to her glory again. Mm. <sighs> For who? <laughs> David said to the man who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? For, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered in the same way, so it shall be done for the man who kills this, shall be done to the man who kills him. What's interesting about David Is he starts to he starts hey, let me just read on hold on now now Eliab his brother when he hears when he when he heard this Eliab's answer was Eliab's anger was kindled against his brother and he says why have you come down with whom have you left the sheep in the wilderness I know the presumption and the evil of your heart for you've come down to see the battle and David said to him what have I done now it's like his older brother immediately the accuser of the brethren begins to come through the brethren. And starts to judge his motives and what he's doing. But David, he's like, what have I done now? Obviously, he's been, he's been tormented by his brother a lot of his life. His brother's always coming against him. But says he turned away from him towards another and spoke the same way again. So immediately, when his brother comes against him, it just says he just turned away and spoke to another. Now, how often when we get accused of something or people judge our character or our nature, do we just start to spin in it? We pondered it and we meditated in it for like three days, trying to figure it out. Am I this? Am I this? <laughs> or do we just leave our bags with the keeper of the baggage and says he just turned and spoke to another the same way? He just lets things go. He lets it roll off. And what's crazy about David, he's not been sitting in the, not been sitting, listening to this voice of a stranger. He's not listening to CNN and Fox News. He's out in the wilderness worshiping, hearing the voice of his father, and when he sees this Philistine, he doesn't even call him a giant. He calls him this uncircumcised Philistine. 
Somebody will preach on that one someday. <laughs> but he's like, why are y'all tripping? Don't you know that we're the armies of the living God? Don't you know that we are the armies of the living God? Don't you remember that you were filled with the Holy Spirit? Don't you know that God gave you a new heart? Don't you know the same spirit that lives in Christ dwells in you? The same one. The same one. So what are these giants in our lives? What are they? What are they but our bread? What are they but meant to be felled by these stones that God's given us, these words that God's given us? We just have to listen to the voice of our Father. And I believe that's where the magnification, the praise comes into place. Come, let's magnify the Lord together. Come, let's magnify the Lord together. Think about what the enemy has done in 2020. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you became hyper aware of something you can't see. You became hyper aware everywhere you went, every news channel, every time you step out of the door, you were hyper aware of something you couldn't see. Because I used to wonder, I was like, Lord, how do you, how do we live in a place of continual praise? How do we do that? How do you pray at all times and pray without ceasing? How do we do this? How do we constantly set our mind on the things that are above? He's like, well, you're doing it in the enemy, doing it for the enemy. Your worry, your fear, your awareness of a virus, constant, nonstop in your head, you're magnifying something you can't see. So the power of praise helps us to magnify the invisible God right? Who's so much more powerful than a virus. Yes, it's real, but let's put it in its proper perspective, like the uncircumcised Philistine that it is, right? And I'm telling you, if you live in this place of continual praise, like all year long, like as, as, as the year began, I would walk through airports, I would see people afraid, and I would feel fear try to come on me. We all felt it. It's not as, it's not as thick as it was then, but there was a season where you felt it everywhere you went, and immediately I was like, ooh, God, I thank you that you, you have not promised me sickness, that you're more powerful than a virus. Lord, I thank you that sickness shall not come, up, come near my dwelling. I would just quote the scriptures and just praise God for the opposite of what I would feel. And literally, I'd be lit up like a Roman candle. I felt like this impenetrable force, this hedge of praise around my body. Because I, st- I just stated I would be aggressive. Because I was like, this thing is not coming upon me. And it would break like that. It's a weak spirit. It is a spirit and it's weak. You just have to flip the script on it and be these people like David that's continually offering up a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. He's real and his power in our life is real. It is real. It is more real than that virus. It is more real than the virus. And so this same... The same dynamic extrapolates over every area of your life, whether it's provision, whether it's been betrayal, whether it's, it's your job, whether it's in your family, whether it's believing for your loved ones. Because the enemy loves to come throw these fiery darts at you, right? He comes to throw these fiery darts of doubt and fear. Like two nights ago, right, right when I landed here, I had this dream. And it was like, it was kind of like this open field, a bunch of trees around. And I saw, it looked like these ancient warriors on a horse, on horses, sorry. Uh, they were these ancient demonic warriors on horses. And they were just shooting 
arrows of fire everywhere. They were just flying out all over the place. And I'm just like out in the field, just kind of dodging them, just doing this thing, you know. I was just kind of having fun. And I heard my dad off in the distance go, Michael, this is serious. And it like, it quickened my spirit to the seriousness of the hour that we are in. Because I believe there's a lot of people that have allowed too many fiery darts to come in, right? The, 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 the thoughts of fear, and despair, and doubt. That's what happened to my brother. And, you know, I just, I, I've really purposed in my heart, like, I don't want to lose, I don't want to lose any more folks. I don't want to lose any more brothers and sisters. Father, I thank you for your warrior bride. Lord, would you release your healing oil over our hearts and our minds today? Where there's been betrayals, where there's been woundings, where there's been hopelessness and despair. Meredith was singing about today to break off that hopelessness and despair. Do you heal the deep places in our hearts? Give us the faith to dream again. Give us the faith to see that you are the God of the promised land, that our eyes would be set on the hope to which you've called us to, not the hopelessness to what the enemy has called us to. Get the band to come up real quick. In just a second, if you'll go into that, if you'll go back into that promised land song, I thought that was really prophetic for where we're at right now. You know, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for David, and David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Let no man's heart fail because of him. And David began to release this faith in the face of Saul. He begins to remind Saul of all the ways that God has come through in his life. He begins to remind him of these lion, defeating the lion and the bear moments, right? You guys know, know the story, but he doesn't bring his baggage of the past up. He brings the, his history with God forward into the seminal moment. He's like, this is what God has done in my life. He delivered me here, and he delivered me here, and he delivered me here. And his faith infected Saul. His faith infected the leader. He infected Saul. And Saul to the point where Saul goes, you go face this man. Saul risked an entire nation. He risked it all on this kid because this kid had faith. He had faith to defeat a giant because he remembered what God had done in his life. I want you to remember what God has done in your life. 
to meditate on it. Like it's your bread, like it's your sustenance, like it's your everything. Because the enemy wants to get us meditating on all this crap, on all your weaknesses and all your insecurities and all the ways you've done it wrong. And that's gotta go. It's gotta go. You have this power to magnify things in your life. Let's spend our energy and magnify God. Come, let's magnify the Lord together. Let's go slay giants and apprehend the promises that he has for us. This is our hour. That's why he's saying we need courage. This is our hour, so we magnify him. Let's come into his presence. Let's hear his voice. Let's hear the voice of the shepherd, not the stranger, as he leads us into triumphant victory. Amen? So real quick, when David runs out there, he runs out into the battlefield. He immediately just goes to dip into the stream. He goes into the river. He goes into the place of the Spirit. And he just gets these five smooth stones. He gets these words. He gets this word of God that's greater than that word of the enemy. And he throws it right at the head of that voice of the stranger and slays it easily. A simple stone took down that giant. The enemy likes to magnify itself so big with all its armor and all its mail and all its... A simple stone from a river, a simple word from the Spirit of God can destroy that thing in your life. So I want us to worship here in just a minute, but before we do, like I just, I, I, I want to just take a moment, if you'll just close your eyes with me real quick. If there's anybody in this place that is in a place of hopelessness or despair, and you feel like you cannot go on with your life. If that's you, would you take this moment? This is a zero shame zone. This is family. This is a moment of freedom. Would you have the courage to raise your hand? It's all right. Yes, bro. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Another one. Okay. There's three. you and I I hate to put you on the spot but I want to break this thing off your life would you mind standing would you mind standing please stand would you guys come around them would y'all hug them and lay your hands on them pray for them be the body right now no shame in Jesus name break off all shame right now in Jesus name. Lord, I thank you that these that have stood up have a gift of faith. We have a gift of faith. This is the season where the script is going to be flipped from death to life, from hopelessness to hopefulness. You are going to be the ones who slay giants. Take down giants. We break off the spirit of suicide right now in Jesus name. We command you to leave. You say you have no right 
upon my sons and my daughters, they are my kids. You must pay for tormenting them now. In Jesus' name, Lord, release your angels to torment those spirits in Jesus' name.